0: Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain podcast, the podcast for everyone interested in safe and secure storage and transport of food and other temperature control products. Thanks to all of you that got in touch following our last episode with UK Director for New Cold John Miles. If you've not heard it, go back and check it out. It's a typically open, candid and optimistic assessment of the future of the cold chain. And while while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to our feed, that way you'll never miss an episode. Yesterday the Chancellor made his latest intervention as he works hard to find ways to engineer the economic bounce back we are all desperate to see happen. The two most important things in the short term, are trying to keep as many people as possible in productive work, hence the idea of the job retention bonus, 1,000 pounds for every employee brought back to work from furlough, and Rishi's Early Bird Special, a 15% VAT cut and meal subsidy, which is all about trying to stimulate customer spending. I think he's right to identify the biggest risk to the food industry is people getting out of the habit of eating out, so the quicker people get back to that the better, and we might get the V-shaped recovery, economic recovery we all crave. That said, it's not so obvious that he will be successful and we have, to be, we have to strap in for what it's like to be a longer road to recovery in that part of our market. Um, I don't envy the cold chain leaders trying to make plans for their business with all this uncertainty. And I have one of them with me now. Andrew Lawrence is one of the newer leaders on the block, and as one of the directors running the Magnavale Group, he's bringing energy and competition to our marketplace. Many of you will know Magnavale by their main trading name, Rick Beswick, but their interests extend across a range of facilities and they have big expansion plans. I'm also delighted to say that Andrew is the latest addition to the Cold Chain Federation board. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Hi Shane. Um, thanks for the introduction. Can I ask you to tell us a bit more about yourself from the Magnavale business?
1: Yep. Yeah, so um, a bit about myself first. Um, I started at uh, originally via Cold Stores, which is the original company of Magnavale. Um, back in 2012, um, started working in the warehouse and kind of slowly progressed into different roles and different opportunities when we acquired new businesses and eventually um, Sit where I am now of um, being the director of Rip Bestment Limited and one of the directors of Magnavale. Magnavale's um, grown uh, since 2012. We took over a small cold store in Scunthorpe for 20,000 pallets um, we extended onto that site and acquired three more buildings and then we bought Rick Beswick um, in 2014 um, in Chesterfield which was three cold stores at the time um, and then we added another one on that same industrial estate and in 2016 we then bought cold move um, Warrington to add some more pallets and after that we um, bought uh, Liverpool so we've grown from Twenty-two thousand pallet spaces in 2012 to just over two hundred thousand now. So it's been a exciting um, kind of road that we've been on, and um, it's good to kind of progress where we where we go to next. Um, and part of that is is how we differentiate our, differentiate ourselves in the marketplace um, using what Rick Bestwick were doing when we originally took them over. They were a meat manufacturer with kind of cold store premises. So we've tried to expand on that unique. Um, out view of added value services that we can offer to all of our customers.
0: Eight years, you've been eight, in the industry eight years that's sort of actually surprising to me because I, I call you new kid but actually eight years is a long time to be in the, in, in the industry and obviously you can grow a lot of growth in that time. Did you sort of set out when you and, sort of the, and, the, and the business came into the industry back in 2012, did you have a vision that you would be growing to the sort of size that you are now and, 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 and or has it been a more, more of an organic growth than that?
1: Um, We've always had um, plans. The actual original point of the Macrivel Group was a a commercial property um, vehicle and we were going to lease the stores out to different operating companies. Um, So that was the actual first part of it. We bought the cold store that via cold stores was was leasing and eventually actually we realised that we wanted to become part of the operational business as well. And then slowly kind of acquired more and more properties um, and at that point acquired the operational businesses at the same point and in the last probably four years our our kind of mindset has actually changed of less being a a property business almost and actually looking at how we can really push the operation as well as the property but the um, it's always kind of property first and then operation second um, was the kind of group focus. Um, obviously the operational business's focus wasn't that um, but now with the changes um, we are kind of an op and propco all in all in one and so it is we are looking at the operation more and more and um, and looking at how we can acquire to put, to actually increase the operational business rather than just looking at the property side of things
0: so you're kind of like a UK home homegrown version of some of the American movers that are sort of playing this game on a global scale and have been for sort of a similar sort of period and probably you were there slightly slightly ahead of them by the sounds of things.
1: Yes. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that you can take from other people and what they've done. Um, lucky enough, our, our, our main shareholder is, um, is is his background is commercial property and particularly in Europe as well. So we've been able to look at the market European wide and obviously and obviously look at what people are doing in the States and the likes of Lineage in America older people and, uh, understand how they're doing
0: it. Yeah. And as you said, you said that obviously one of the things that you've taken the Rick Best business through, and um, I know you've been very personally involved in leading all this is, is that kind of taking it from the sort of traditional warehouse offer into, um, a range of value add services. Um, what's the rationale behind that?
1: The main rationale is, is on a purely business point of view is to try and, um, increase revenue for the amount of spaces you have. Um, obviously, if if a pallet sits in a warehouse, you only get revenue every time you touch it. Whereas actually, if we can add something to it, if we can add a, a date code, a label, microwave it, blast freeze it, temper it, repack it, that that actual storage space is actually increasing its revenue. Um, and that's where we've tried to differentiate ourselves. We we do in Scunthorpe. We are a, a mainly a storage-based business. We have we have a hundred thousand pallet spaces on that site. Whereas actually at Chesterfield, we've got forty-five thousand. So we need to try and do something different to try and actually give us the margin that we need to make to make money. Um, and we see we see a lot of customers actually not realizing what we do and how, and actually when we actually get into their operation, how we can actually benefit them. It's trying to kind of the, the cold store con- contracts that are out there, the kind of the ones that we all know, um, which are kind of RHD and and storage, they're there, people, that's a price base. Whereas actually what we're trying to do is save our customers money in the long run is actually trying to take touches out of the market, trying to take transport out of it, actually do things more under one roof that's um, that enables people to actually save money in the long term whilst give, whilst actually paying more money to us, which is obviously the, the real benefits.
0: Yeah. And making yourself, I guess, indispensable to, 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 as a partner in their business. I think that's probably one of the, the trends that most people recognize in sort of the cold storage and cold chain market. Over recent years, is the move away from a kind of service available on spec, just to put my stuff away in your warehouse for a bit and then move it to somebody else when I get chance, to actually genuinely being embedded in their supply chain uh, operations um, and actually being being invaluable. Uh, I guess that, that that's kind of part of the thinking, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, completely. It's it's all about working in partnership with each other. Gone um, are the days of the kind of customer supplier where you get beaten over the head the whole time, and obviously. That there are still those relationships out there, but the main one is is to try and to, as you say, ingrain ourselves into their supply chain, ingrain what we're doing, and actually become almost an extension of their factory or their facility, allowing their kind of their technical on site and working with our technical and and actually benefiting from understanding what they're doing, so it benefits our our own offerings. Um, and that and that's the main one is is just working in tandem with with it, with as many people as we can because it benefits everybody at the end of the day and that's and it's win-win solutions is what everyone wants isn't it
0: totally yeah and and as you say the rick bestwick business you took over had a sort of history in the in the meat trade um and you've kind of built on that i think um within your business and i sort of noticed that you've had significant growth and opportunities built through through the growing export market for meat into places like asia how how was that market and how did that develop for you how did you get into that and how have you how, how do you see that progressing from from where we are now?
1: So, Ripbest, we always had we always had some export licenses. Um, the main one we we didn't have was China, um, and we'd actually started applying for that in before we even acquired the business in twenty fourteen. It was actually first approached in twenty twelve, and we finally got um, got the license in twenty seventeen, um, and it was just kind of through sheer determination. Contacting the FSA, contacting Defra, and pushing that we managed to get it, um, and it's it's and that's enabled us to open up to that market. Obviously, the China um, pork markets has gone through the roof with with swine flu out there, which is which has enabled us to actually really capitalise on that. But not only just to to a to China, we've also got Taiwan, South Korea. Um, USDA all of those different markets and it's trying to be as flexible as you can in that offering we actually got our South Korean um, open meat packing license as well so we it's something we're really trying to push to give again the customers different opportunities and um, enable us to embed ourselves in their in their factories. Give them the opportunity to expand into different
0: markets. It seems like a smart thing to be to be looking at in a world where we're about to leave the European Union, and and certainly the government focus is on this idea of expanding our trade links with the rest of the world. I, I mean, I wonder whenever I hear government talk about this stuff, whether actually there is that kind of real significant growth opportunity through things like free trade agreements. It's more like what you're doing, which is providing the means to get the product out there that is that is the way in which you access the growth isn't it um and i think um i think that uh, it's uh, it's a special skill i mean how do you go about do you have to do things differently in how you train your people or how you sort of you run the business in order to service a a, a market that's so different like the asian markets
1: yes so we we get audited by the fsa three months we we're brc approved and all of the other things but the the actual FSA and the requirements for China, they have their own specific requirements, are very vigorous. Um, each person that works in that cold store is trained to a different specification. Um, everything is, is very, very regimented. Everything is obviously recorded anyway in the warehouse, but actually it goes to a different level. We, we kind of, we with the um, IMOs, the internal movements, everything like that, everything is recorded, everything is kept the vet that comes to site can can know exactly who's handled what pallet exactly what training they've had um and to what spec they've had that training and that's and that's where the export market really has changed the levels of some cold stores and our our cold store that we operate the china markets out of is by far the tidiest cleanest cold store i've ever been into it's 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 absolutely crazy how good it is um not that the rest of them aren't, but uh, that <laughs> yeah. one is something. Not that the rest of them careful, aren't very tidy. <laughs> but the, um, but the, the it's something But it's a level that it's, almost, it's food production to that level. And actually, some of the requirements that the FSA want are actually the food standards, because what happens is the China issue, the instructions, and then they're interpreted and translated by, by the UK government. So there isn't always a direct translation. So the market, the actual instructions for... For for an abattoir and a factory actually don't differ that much to the warehouse, so that's where it's really difficult sometimes because the levels are so different to what to what even the customer requires to what um, BRC requires. It's, it's a whole new level of of regiment uh, requirements.
0: It's really interesting. I think it's, it's, to me it sounds like you've got a bit of a head start on some of the friction that's going to come on the export markets that are close to home with the EU once we get to the other side of. Of, of January, and we have to operate as a third country for our export markets into into EU as well. Can I ask you one of the things I do is see, you know, the, the different business interests that you that you operate within, and you're obviously got a you've got an operational role within 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 the Rick Bestwick business. You know, you're obviously involved in strategic decision making in the Magnavale business and and other things. How do you sort of how do you sort of juggle all that on a day to day basis? In in where do you, where do you sort of where do you have to put your focus in order to sort of be successful in getting the job
1: done? Um, I, I'm sure I've got an incredibly good team um, that I work with that, um, that obviously take a lot of some of the day to day. But ultimately, day to day has to always come first, because without the daily operations, um, we wouldn't have a business to look forward to. So everything still revolves around that. And then everything else that we're looking at next comes next um because if we don't satisfy our customers today look after them and, and and ultimately make money this week the the next the next year the two years later those types of plans won't happen um and that's where and that's where it is sometimes uh difficult to keep that focus on as you do you do get stuck into the kind of operational day-to-day business when you need to be looking a bit further ahead but it's it's how we've tried to change our business in the last kind of six months. Is is trying to um, increase and train everyone else around us to enable them to take more ownership of what they're doing. So it frees it frees more strategic thinking time up. Brilliant. Um,
0: I know that so obviously what you're, you as a business you've got very exciting plans to develop new sites, most notably stuff in in London Thames Enterprise Park, for example. Um, Why do you think there's a business case for putting new space down in such high value locations?
1: Ultimately, we think our businesses, there's currently, say, roughly around two and a half million spaces in the UK of cold storage space. And the changes with gases and more and more cold stores becoming obsolete, almost with the technologies that are in place, um, that actually there is a requirement for more space. And looking at the different locations it's it's looking at how we can satisfy the look at how how we can satisfy most of the population if you look at london the location we're looking at in um in london is 45 minutes away from from the city and we can satisfy kind of 50% of the population within within an hour and a half and it's also it's although it's prime real estate and it is it's a, it's expensive location it's how we can take out for other costs. We can take out transport costs. We can take out handling costs. If it can go straight from ourselves straight into London without having to go through a distribution centre, again, that's a further cost out which, although they'll, the extra money for the property side of things, we think that will make up for it in, in the additional value that the customer will receive.
0: And I guess there's absolutely no doubt that there, the pressure to reduce your transport costs and your transport movements are going to come from a range of different ways over the coming, in the coming years. Um, And that whole, you know, everyone talks about the growth of last mile and online and different consumer habits. And um, so everyone talks about them, doesn't necessarily operationalize them um, yet. It's sort of the sort of thing that you're looking at is really what that is all about. It's about having the the logistics uh, uh, part of the chain closer to the end consumer rather than relying on the retail outlets. that uh, that we traditionally seen as the place where you we, we, that I need to be serviced. Is that right?
1: Yeah, completely. And and having the technologies there um, to be able to do all the added value things that the last miles needed to do. So do unit picking, do up tempering, do date coding, do relabeling, and that and that's the site we're trying to build. Is a is the cold store we're looking at is one hundred sixty thousand um, pallet spaces, um, and it's got. Uh, It's got the same space floor spaces as well on three different mezzanine floors um, for added value facilities along alongside a a substantial cross stock, because we want a a one size fits all cold store that that satisfies London. And uh, not only that, but also being close to um, a port, um, look at how we can, again, push the export market and with Brexit also look at how we can increase the import market because Depending on what happens with Brexit, there is going to be less food that can come in by by the standard kind of lorry, and it will need to come in in containers. So being close to a port and um, trying to gain, say, free port status and a where a container doesn't have to hit the road and could come straight on, so it can be overweight, that's where we think a, a massive benefit to our customers will be.
0: And it very much fits within the narrative and the one of the bigger narratives that from a cold chain federation, you you know well. We're very focused on, which is a whole issue of sustainability and and how we can do the cold chain in a less environmentally impactful way. Um, do you sort of have a kind of handle on on how much benefit sort of working in that kind of way, having locations like Thames Enterprise Park, would would meet those sorts of objectives for your customers?
1: That, to be honest with you, that's what we're going through at the moment. We've uh, we've employed a, a data analyst, and part of his role is actually to to run through that that data we're taking a kind of leaf out of lineage's book obviously not to that scale with, with what they've got out in the states but actually employing people employing somebody and there will be another two people joining that team to actually just look at that and look at the cost saving look at the green miles we're saving um, for the customer to show that as a benefit
0: i definitely think you're in the right sort of area for that because if it isn't already being asked for, and it kind of is in lots of places, it's going to be the level of scrutiny on this layer, on what we're doing in those areas is going to be massive in the next five to ten years. And so, businesses that are ahead of that are the ones that are going to prosper. I would, I would, I would venture. Um, sort of, when I talk to you, Andrew, whenever I talk to you um, and other parts of the members of your business team, and, and you, you sort of fall into the camp of the, the very optimistic kind of. Can do part of the cold chain. Um, what gives you that kind of innate confidence to invest in this marketplace right now, particularly with COVID nineteen and and everything else that's that's been going on?
1: Um, ultimately, I think I think our our kind of firstly our track record with the growth that we've had and actually being a successful business, growing in the way that we have, gives us gives us confidence in what we're doing and the way that we're doing it. Um, and And secondly, trying to understand the marketplace we, we know what's there because ultimately we do have we do have cut old cold stores in some of our in some of our um in some of our areas that do need substantial investment, and we know there's people out there that can't put that investment in, so there is going to be more required space but also with the changes in the marketplace with with depending on what happens with brexit, there will need to be more imported frozen food so we we believe there will be a increase in requirement for cold storage Um, and again anyone that's in the market has already seen a tightening not even before brexit and before covid there has been a shrinkage in the market there has been there has been space that's been required that hasn't actually been there and we want to capitalize on that and again it's looking at the right locations it's looking at where we think we can benefit whereas london for example i think even if there is space even if there is space in the market i think people will people will move there and our other development in in the midlands that we're looking at which is a further eighty thousand spaces again it's it's a substantial it's a fantastic transport location that it will work for people and offering them different solutions offering them the added value side of things looking at how we can benefit them and get them to actually come to us and i think that's where we we're confident um we hope it's not misplaced but
0: um well it's... i would definitely say you would say it wasn't from a, from a federation industry-wide <laughs> point of view so uh so please please stay optimistic um but but obviously we have to be realistic as well um what would you say are the biggest risks or barriers to being successful for cold chain operators right now
1: um
0: It's that kind of an interview question, isn't it? The one yeah, that, that's... What, what's the weakness of your business? I'm not really what I mean, but, you know, where are the, where are the kind of... What's the, what are the risks you have to manage in making these sorts of, sort of plays?
1: So there's, there's, there's lots of different risks. There's, there's the... One the of the big ones we've had with all, with all of our existing sites is power, is how we can actually develop, develop sites when the, the kind of power capacity in the UK on, on, on electric isn't actually good enough, the infrastructure isn't good enough, and the cost... The cost to actually increase there. There's the labour with with Brexit. Who knows what's going to happen? But again, trying to mitigate that with automation and how we can move around that. Um, governmental. We've been we've we've been discussing it. The CCA and and what 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 they're actually going to impose on. Honestly, a, a, obviously a high um, electricity or high kind of un green industry and what what's going to happen next on that sort of thing. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of pressures. And again, the, different, the difficult one is, is, is actually trying to find a stable market. I don't think we've had a stable market for the last two years with, with Brexit and now COVID. It's, it's understanding the base level of where the market is because I don't think anyone knows anymore.
0: Yeah, everyone thinks about the instability being a good thing for, for, for warehousing because of stockpiling and all these different things. And to a certain extent it is, but that's very short term. I guess what we really want to know is what is the new equilibrium and how do we build services to service the kind of normal times um, in the future? But maybe the situation is we're never going to get normal times again. Maybe the, <laughs> maybe the new normal is just year to year uncertainty and chaos. But then again, logistics are, here, are there to help with that, aren't they? Um, can I ask you about um, about the Federation? So obviously you're uh, you've, you've just literally joined the board of the Cold Chain Federation as of as of as of, uh, as of May. Um, what 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 brought you to want to be part of the board?
1: Um, but kind of talking to you to begin with when you when you first came on, um, understanding seeing your excitement for the industry, um, and actually it, that really kind of got us excited as a business and wanting to be part of, of a change within the cold chain federation and and the cold chain industry. That that was that's the main part of actually us wanting to be part of that change. Um, changing people's ideas and and seeing how we can benefit because ultimately we're a federation and we all need to if everything benefits every single one gone are the days where uh, we sit there and look at each other as competitors in, my, in our opinion and, and we need to work together to better our industry to better technical to better health and safety to better our, our energy efficiency because that's how we protect our industry from from other things and the pressures and that's how we save those pressures because working yeah. together that's the only way of doing it none of us are big enough businesses to, to get any further away from
0: that I definitely would uh definitely sort of sort of you sort, of, sort of fit into the sort of the new generation of leaders coming through the cold chain that probably are open to and understand the value of collaboration and, and the way in which we can there are shared shared goals and shared objectives and that kind of concept of stronger together it's not that we haven't had solidarity in the past but that idea of of not not really working together because ultimately everything is competitive has is sort of the legacy and i guess the whole point of what we're all trying to achieve around the, the culture Chain federation is, is is moving us on to that that new way of working which is present in a number of other industries and and one that we need to to keep up to to speed with um, so thank you very much andrew for today i really really ap- appreciate you giving me your time and i'm really delighted to that you are part of the new the leadership of the Cold Chain Federation now. Good luck with the next few, uh, the next few weeks as we kind of come out of the COVID recovery phase and um, talk to you soon. Right. Brilliant, thank you. So there we have it. Another edition of the podcast in the can. I'm, I'm really pleased with um, how these have been going over the last uh, few months. And they've been a bit of a lifeline um, for us as we uh, adjust to not doing what we normally do uh, in the COVID world. Um, With the uh, summer holidays upon us, um, I've actually been booking in some interesting sessions with some other industry leaders and I'm hoping that through August you're going to hear from Ian Wright, the Director General of the Food and Drink Federation um, which is the major trade body for the food manufacturing industry, and from Richard Burnett, the Chief Executive of the Road Haulage Association. we are talking to them a bit about how they see some of the challenges facing the cold chain from their particular perspectives. So please make sure you subscribe so you get a chance to hear those as well. And with that, all there's left to say is thanks very much and until next time.